Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity, CISO Thursday. And today we have Evan Francine from FR Secure and Secure Studio. Evan, thank you for coming on today. It's good to be here, man. Thank you. Absolutely love it. And for everyone, we have Evan's profile. If you're joining us from LinkedIn right below, so you can follow him as well as his amazing businesses. And then for those of you on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification button right down below. And then for those of you on Twitch, feel free to comment as we stream. Uh, for everyone, uh, just go ahead and comment where you're where you're shouting in from or any questions that you have along the way. Um, and we'll get started with Evan. Evan, so tell us a little bit about your backstory for those who, who might not know you. Oh, man, it's a long backstory. It's been a long time. Uh, I started in this industry in 92. I didn't realize that you could get paid to do the things that I was doing at the time. Uh, some people might have called them illegal. I don't know if they had laws against it back then. I think most of the, in most cases, the, well, in all cases, I think the statute of limitations is expired now, but I was a tinkerer. I like playing with uh, things. I, I grew up an only child. Uh, ADD is my superpower or my curse. So, you know, I, I started tearing things apart. My parents were both in IT. Uh, so they brought home a whole bunch of computers and electronics things. And I, you know, uh, started pulling them apart. Uh, my first paid gig in this industry was cleaning boot sector viruses off of Windows 3.1 machines. Um, and from there, I went in kind of networking. I was a Cisco guy for a long time, uh, taught a whole bunch of Cisco classes, um, and then just kind of progressed from there, man. How, how have things changed in the, the cloud-centric world now when you think of cybersecurity and businesses coming into this industry and potentially understanding or not understanding the technology that you're bringing in? You know, it's it. Uh, a lot of things have changed and a lot of things haven't. You know, uh, I have a saying that I use a lot. Um, we've adopted new technology faster than our ability to use it responsibly. And that sort of sums it up, you know, technology, tons of new technologies, tons of new things uh, we've introduced. Uh, technology in places I never really thought we would introduce it uh, back then, you know, at the beginning. But, you know, still some of the basics, the fundamentals are missing. You know, you ask people simple questions like, what is the definition of information security? Or what are you trying to do? Or... You know, do you have an asset inventory? You know, th those are the things that haven't changed. We still don't have some of the basics and fundamentals kind of across the board, but the technology definitely is always emerging. And as you think about the basics across the board, what are some of the, the basic things that we could do from, I guess, let's start from educating users perspective, then we could go go on from there. Yeah, I think it starts with getting people on the same page about what we're trying to do here. I think some people have the misconception that we're trying to prevent all bad things from happening. We're trying to prevent all breaches. Uh, you know, that's not feasible. It's not possible. I think many of our users think this is an IT issue that, you know, somebody else is, is taking care of it for them when really we need to invite them into the game, you know, define what, 
what role they play in this game and how do we help them succeed in it. Uh, so we have a long ways to go, you know, towards getting people to speak the same language about what we're trying to do, get on the same page. I think in some places we've seen people uh, run good security programs where they've kind of, they're nailing it. And I think, but the vast majority, I think we still have a lot of work to do. So as you say, get them to, to speak direct language, isn't it really the opposite? Isn't it the, the security folks and the IT folks that should be going to the business and going, what are you doing? How can I help rather than the other way around? Yeah, you know, over the years, you know, as you make connections in this industry, you know, I've made a lot of friends with CISOs, you know, some in Fortune 500 companies, some in, you know, small companies. And I like simple, right? Bruce Schneier said it best the first time I heard it anyway. Uh, complexity is our worst enemy of information security. And we've gotten so complex in so many different places. When I first started, things were much simpler. It was easier to secure the environments that, uh, that we were responsible for. Today, it's gotten so out of hand. But one of the things I ask CISOs is define your job for me, you know, because if you can define it well for me, you should be able to define it well to the business, to the people you work for. Um, and I think the simplest explanation of what a CISO's job is, is uh, you consult the business to make good risk decisions, and then you implement those risk decisions to the best of your ability. Those are the two primary focuses for you. Uh, so if I'm supposed to be consulting the business to make good risk decisions, that really forces me to engage with the business. It also enforces me or, you know, pushes me towards understanding the business. I can't make good rec recommendations to you if I don't know you. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think one of the, the, the challenges is, like you said, many don't know what a CISO does, but many don't know what many of the roles do. And for 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 those looking to explore the industry as, as a possibility, they're, they're lost with all the options. How can we fix that? Well, that, I mean, it starts with the CISO, right? It starts with look, taking a look in the mirror because we're the, we're the allegedly the, the, the head of the security food chain in the, in the, in the, you know, in the business. So define what it is you do. Uh, make it simple so people can understand. You can certainly borrow, the, you know, the, the two simple points that I made and make them yours. Many CISOs, uh, it seems to resonate with them. It seems to help. We, we use a language that many of the normal, I call them normal, quote, unquote, people. Um, we use a language that they don't understand oftentimes. So when you, when, you know, a user or, you know, a manager or a director or the CFO or the CEO, if they were to come and ask you, you know, what do you do for a living? Or what do you, what value do, do you provide to the business? We oftentimes get, you know, confusing. I mean, it's, it's too many words. So if we can't define what it is, our role is in simple, simple terms, good luck trying to define your role for users, for managers, for the CEO, for the board of directors, uh, it's got to start with us. So define it, make it simple, because if you make it overly complicated, they're going to tune out or uh, they're going to default ignorance. So um, we have to be really clear about us before we're going to start pointing fingers at other people.
And as we think about being clear for us, how can we look at the resources that we have, the people that we have, and clearly define their roles so that those looking to join the workforce can see this is an example of a role that I might be interested in. And these are the requirements of that role. Yeah, it's a challenge if we haven't figured it out from the, for the CISO, you know, and, you know, so take, take the example that I used, you know, number one, I consult the business to make good risk decisions. So as I look across, you know, my team, uh, what, what tools am I going to need to make the best recommendations to the business to help them make the best risk decisions? A lot of times as CISOs, we haven't really figured that out well. And so we get frustrated because the business isn't making good risk decisions or the business isn't giving us the resources we need to enable our jobs. And then, you, again, that falls back to the, C, to the CISO, in my opinion. Um, it's our job to make that case. So when, I, when I'm working with an organization, uh, first, I have to understand the business. I have to understand what you do, what motivates the CEO. We miss that sometimes. You know, some CEOs are motivated by ego. Some are motivated by money. Some are motivated by, you know, whatever. So my, if I'm going to consult you well, I need to resonate with you. I need to speak a language that you're going to understand. I need to speak a language that will motivate you. Uh, but it's all that legwork up front. And then I build my team, right? What things am I going to need? Uh, you know, taking a look across the enterprise, um, Where's my most significant risk? You know, that's probably the place to focus first. And if you can't answer that question, uh, there you go. Go answer that question first and fill out your team. So I know uh, FR Secure does some amazing things for the community. And one here is an example. Uh, they just finished the FR Secure's CISSP uh, mentorship program for the year and still going on. Why why do these types of um, programs? Well, another, I mean, I, I use a lot of sayings because they seem to resonate with people. Um, you know, we use analogies a lot because we're trying to, you know, bridge that gap between what I say and what you say. Uh, information security is not about information or security as much as it is about people. This is a people industry, right? Um, I love technology. I love hacking stuff. I mean, who doesn't? But at the end of the day, when something goes bad, something goes wrong, an incident, somebody suffers, right? So that makes it a people issue. It's also, on the other side of that, the people who cause the bad things to happen are always people. Always, right? It doesn't, when, as CISOs, sometimes we think, well, the people, you're talking about the users, right? Now I'm talking about people. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about developers who write programs that have bugs in them. I'm talking about IT folks who don't secure their configurations. I'm talking about all of us. It's a people issue. Uh, so once we get our hands around that, but that, that's what leads to the, C, you know, the, the CISP mentor program and, and other things we try to do to, to teach people. And, and, and thinking about that, like I know one of the things that uh, Secure Studio does is it created a, a platform that, like you said, people can use to secure themselves so that they could create secure habits for themselves at home and then 
take that back to work. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, when you take, you know, the home, for instance, it's just a microcosm of what a business is, right? You have a CEO, it's the head of the household, whether it's mom, dad, significant other, somebody leads the household, I hope. Uh, they're the ones who are ultimately responsible for the information security of that household, just like a CEO would be in a business. So then where's my most significant risk, you know, at home? Is it um, am I running default configurations on my firewalls and or firewall? I'm, see, I'm a security guy, so firewalls, we have more than one. Um, you know, is my Wi-Fi insecure? Uh, what about the devices that I'm using on my network? What about all the IoT, the cameras? The And so the theory is, is if you teach people, people are creatures of habit. If you teach them good security habits at home, hopefully they'll bring that into the workplace, right? There's no, there's no like, you know, cut and dry, that's work, this is home. Especially after COVID, now everybody's working from home they're integrated with each other. So you can't separate them anymore. What are some of the things that you do to, you mentioned home and work have now been microcosm together to motivate your people in an environment where they might not come to the office anymore, or um, they might be in a different state than you because that's been the way that the, the business has adapted to COVID. Yeah, so motivation comes down to what resonates with, you know, with somebody, right? We've, in our industry, we've oversold fear so that we've overplayed that card uh, so that one doesn't work anymore, right? We tell them, well, if you don't secure your home network, you're going to die. Nobody believes us. Nobody, people, not enough people died, maybe. But the, uh, so what's going to resonate? Um, it's got to be personal. You know, they've got to see themselves in the equation. So when you talk about securing people at home, when I was a kid, uh, you know, aging myself a little bit, we locked the front door. We didn't have mobile devices like we do today. And we locked the front door because we wanted to keep the bad guys out. Uh, we didn't want them to come in the middle of the night and, you know, steal your kid or sexually molest your kid or whatever they're going to do. Well, now we went so fast, like going back to the point, we adopted new technology faster than our ability to use it responsibly. Now we put our kids to bed with the bad guys. The bad guys are, in many cases, are in the bedroom with your child. Uh, whether or not, you know, bad things are happening, I don't know, you know, that I would need to know more. But uh, we've seen a significant increase in, uh, you know, child, I guess, uh, propositioning or whatever. Um, and that's a result of it. Uh, maybe that resonates. Maybe safety resonates. Because that's another thing about information security where we sit today. You can't separate information security from safety. They're both integrated now as well because you've got a smart home uh, in many cases. And I can hack that just as easy as I could have hacked your database at work. So most of the, the businesses in in the U.S. are not these big Fortune 500 companies. They're mom and pop shops. What, what can they do to help secure their environment and have that safety approach rather than the fear approach? 
to information security? Um, you know, focus on the basics, the fundamentals. And if you don't know what those are, find somebody you trust, somebody that's unbiased, that doesn't have, um, it's not trying to sell you something to, uh, to advise you. Because you might need them eventually as well when something bad does happen. You know, if you play out the math, uh, it will happen. It, it, uh, that's inevitable. So when it does, you know, who are you going to call? Uh, find that trusted advisor. You can certainly, you know, follow me, follow you. I know that there are many security folks in this game for the right reasons, that we're not here to take advantage of you. We're not here to sell you anything. I don't want you to buy anything. Most of the things you need to do in your small to mid-sized business doesn't cost you any money, right? Take an inventory, get it, you know, have have one of your employees or do it yourself. Walk around and uh, with a, you know, a, a notebook and just write down the equipment that you have. And before you add more equipment, add it to your inventory so you can account for it. Uh, you know, basic stuff like that. And Because once you've got the physical inventory, then we can start talking about the software that you're using on those physical devices. And then we can talk about the data. But it's it's step by step. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't get confused. Uh, find somebody who uh, generally gives a crap about helping you without trying to take advantage of you. So you, you took the step from physical to software to data. In in a day and age where many don't even use software that they purchased anymore, like you don't put the CDs in and install it, everything's as a service. How do you how do you keep track of all all the different places your data is when you're using so many things as a service? Yeah, that's a challenge. And it's a challenge because we, we got here, uh, we just kept adopting new technologies. Right. We didn't we didn't think it through. Well, uh, you know, now you may be sitting here, you may be listening to this go, you know what, I want to be more responsible. I do want to protect my business better. I do want to protect my family better. I do want to protect my employer better. Uh, if that's true, well then slow down a minute. Uh, because it doesn't make any sense if you the logic is I can't protect the things I don't know I have, right? And most people will agree with that. Those who don't, let's talk. Um so if I don't know, if I can't secure the things I don't know I have, why would it make, and I don't know what I have, why would it make sense to add more to it? So slow down a minute, and then you're going to need to take an inventory of all those things you use. You know, start personal. Uh, you know, I, I was at a, I was giving a talk to a whole bunch of FBI folks um, a while back, and and I was stressing the importance of asset inventory, and everybody in the audience, you know, because we're all really smart security people and we like to think that and stuff. So everybody was nodding their head. Yes. Asset inventory, asset inventory. We need to do asset inventory. And I'm like, all right, awesome. Let's start with ourselves. How many apps do you have on your phone right now? And nobody was willing to give the answer because nobody had the answer. And I knew that because before I prepared for that talk, I knew I didn't have the answer, right? I get busy too, just like everybody else does. And so I picked on one of the FBI guys that was sitting in the front row. I go, how many apps do you have on your phone right now? He goes, and he said, I don't know. But you know the importance of asset inventory. Yes, I do. And that should tell you something right there. How many would you guess you have on your phone right now? And he said, well, I guess maybe 50. 
Well, it turned out he had over 100 applications on his phone that he didn't know he had. Now, applications, the way they work, right, especially on a mobile device, uh, they're talking with something. They're sharing data with something. Uh, they need to be patched. They need to be managed. They need to be configured correctly, just like everything else. So start there, you know, start with yourself, start with home. You know, the average American uh, today has 13 devices connected to their home network. What are those 13 devices for you? Do you have more than that? Do you have less than that? Every one of those needs to be secured. I have at least 50, according to my last um, network <laughs> scan. <laughs> right. And there are tools that you can buy, too. I mean, if you, if you, or in even open source tools, right, if you're, you know, a little bit more comfortable with that, you know, to help you determine what you have on your home network. Uh, but those are always good exercises, especially for people that are breaking into, you know, that want to get into information security. Start at home. Hack yourself. You know, you're not going to get in trouble, usually, I think, for hacking yourself. So take an inventory of your own home network. See what you've got running on it. See if you can identify everything. Because some of the stuff that you have running on your home network isn't going to self-identify very well. Especially like DISH, uh, you know, network stuff. The, what are those called? The Joey's, um, the uh, DirecTV stuff. There's a lot of stuff on your home network that's just kind of sitting there. And all you're going to get back is maybe an IP address and a MAC address, but no real identification of what the what this thing actually is. Well, that's a great exercise because we run into that also at work. You know, there's all kinds of things running on our network right now that, you know, I may run a scan, I may use Nmap, I may use, you know, some other tool and find, oh, wow, I got all these devices, but some of them, I don't have no idea what they are. Well, there you go. That's a, a great exercise for you to, you know, you might have to get up and walk around and unplug something run another scan and say, okay, that's what that is. That's uh, that's okay, because you only have to do that once, and now it'll be maintain it. Uh, but there's no other way, right? You can't just magically think, well, this is just going to automatically secure itself somehow. No, it doesn't happen. You're going to have to do it. Thinking about all, all the different things that we have to patch and maintain in let's call it this digital supply chain that everyone has to manage. If we at a small scale have all these things, what are some of the things that companies and governments at a larger scale can do to, to maintain it at their level? Well, ideally, it, it, you know, with organizations, you hired a professional, right? Professionals, we get paid to do what we do. Uh, somebody pays me. I don't know why some days, but they do. It's cool. Um, but you pay me to be a professional. I'm, I'm supposed to be good at this. So, uh, you know, depending on who's, who's, if this is an executive who's asking this question, uh, you should ask that question. You should ask, you know, what is it we're trying to protect? Do you have an asset inventory? Um, do we have any idea? If we're trying to answer that question ourselves as the CISO and you, and you don't know, I think it's great to admit it, we have an ego issue in this industry as well. Uh, that's fine. Reach out to somebody who, who can help you. Uh, depending on the environment, you can do something as simple as just an Nmap scan, right? If, you've do, if you're doing vulnerability scans on a regular basis with say something like Nessus or Qualys or you know something like that, run your vulnerability scan and then look at that inventory. 
know, if you're running it authenticated, the good thing is, is you've gotten uh, the stuff that's running on those systems as well. So you've got a good start for your software asset inventory. Uh, but, you know, it takes some discipline and uh, don't try to get it perfect out of the gate. That's another thing we run into sometimes where I'm a little intimidated. You know, I don't know. I'm afraid that if I do an asset inventory, that is it even going to be any good? No, it's not. If it's the first time you're doing it, it's not going to be good. It's the first time you've done it. What did you expect, right? It's the first time it's a start from a defensibility standpoint. If something were to go bad, like an incident, you're defensible now because you made progress. That's our job. You know, we make progress. Perfection isn't, isn't the goal. You're not going to get there. One of the, the things that you mentioned earlier that, that rings back to me now is when you started, there's a bunch of things that are now on the internet that you never thought would be there. What are some examples of that? Well, I never thought we'd have refrigerators that, you know, order milk for us when we're out of milk, you know, and, or, um, you know, dishwashers and things and washing machines that are going to tell us when the stuff is done that, I mean, that was like Jetsons stuff back when I was a kid, you know, or back when I was younger. You know, you'd see it on the Jetsons. You're like, we're never going to have Rosie, the robot, getting, you know, making food for us. But we all, you know, we're either there or we're pretty close to being there. Um, I, I think back then I sort of thought that uh, it wouldn't be so easy to get into companies. Um I thought it'd be a little more, it'd take a little more skill uh, than, than it does. I, you know, because back then we used to hack and do and break into things for bragging rights. And so that was our primary motivator. Now things have become so money motivated, uh, you know, from our adversaries that they're pretty wily on how they get into the, into environments. And they always go through the, path of least resistance, right? They have a return on their investment. So I guess I wouldn't have expected so many just unprotected things, just junk everywhere, you know, camera systems, um, you know, RDP. I can't, it blows me away that people are still dangling RDP out there with single factor authentication. It, it, you know, this is 101, not even 101. It's like 01 stuff. Um, there are, you know, you can control uh, ships, you know, sitting from right here where I live in Minnesota. We can control, <laughs> you know, water treatment facilities. We can control, you name it. I mean, it's all connected somewhere. Now, as you look back to your younger self, what, what advice would you give them? Uh, be patient. You know, be patient. These are skills that they don't come to you overnight. Uh, I've learned that what really makes a great, I think, security person are the intangibles, you know, the things we can't teach people. Uh, integrity, honesty, dependability, uh, education, right? Education you can go pretty fast with. Some people learn faster than others. So I'd pick up some books, take some classes, whatever. The third thing really does take uh, patience, and that's experience, right? A lot of the things I've learned over the years came from just 
being there, being in really uncomfortable situations, places where I actually, you know, many times I've wanted to just give up. I'm like, I, I'm, why am I doing, I'm, I quit, you know, in the middle of an incident where like everything's going to crap and, but you know, you learn from that, you, a lot of wisdom. Uh, so I would have given my younger self uh, the advice to, to, to be patient listen. Oh my gosh. Listen to people that have already been here. The, when I started, the thing I used to get all the time from the old timers back then was I'd ask a question and they make you feel stupid, right? They'd be RTFM, RTFM, RTFM. And for those who don't know that you can Google it. I'm not going to say it on the show. Uh, and that was frustrating, but you know, looking back, thank God you asked me to do that because you forced me to learn. Too many people that are coming into this industry today want to jumpstart. Like, you want to be an elite hacker today, but you can't tell me, you can't read a packet, right? You can't, you know, subnet in your head, uh, you know, because then what you did is you, you're almost more dangerous because you're just running tools and waiting for an input. You don't know what the tool is actually doing, which becomes dangerous because in some environments, you're going to cause a hell of a lot of damage. So, the basics, the fundamentals, take your time. We all want to be elite hackers, but learn how TCP IP works, learn how networks work, uh, learn how to read packets first. Uh, and eventually you'll, you'll get there and you'll have people that uh, will be, that'll make you elite. If you want to be elite, it doesn't make you elite to run damn tools. Who cares? Create tools. That would make you elite. Uh, Evan. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, your advice, and everything else. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thank you for joining us on another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity CISO Thursdays. Follow myself, follow Evan. Uh, if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification button. And for everyone after the fact on podcast, give us a 10-star rating wherever you can, five if possible, and then share it with as many friends and family. Thank you so much for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Chris.